Well, if you have a Bible, uh, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to dive into uh, this message all centered around living on a prayer. I woke up late last fall, and I, I just felt like, man, we, we were entering into a season where we needed to grow as a church in prayer. And before we just jump to prayer, because oftentimes when we think about prayer, we think about praying for somebody else. I felt like we had to be the kind of community that could actually learn what it means from the ancient wisdom tradition of the scriptures, how to stand on the faithfulness of God. How to actually pray from a place where we are healthy, where we are whole. And so we've been looking at the Shema, and you heard Trevor kick it off. And talking about the power to hear. And then we had Eric talk about the soul. And we heard Chad talk about the body. And I'm here just to continue this message. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Now you could simply say that this passage of scripture to the Jewish people is the single most quotable, important verse. You walk into a Jewish synagogue and the majority of them will lift up their pinky and they will say, and you can try and quote it with me, Shmarel Adonai Lechinu Adonai Chad. And that literally is, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one in Hebrew. And they raise up their pinky because they believe that God has more power in his pinky than all of humanity combined. There is a sense of reverence. We sing songs about God and we say the name Yahweh. They will not say that name because it's too reverent, too holy. God has so much power. Now here's what I want you to understand though. Is the Lord our God is one. And that word achad literally means one. Whole. Like integrated. And what I need you to see is that the Lord our God is one. The Lord our God is one. You continue on and you begin to see kind of this, these scriptures when you see that the Lord our God is one. And we go to the next slide and you'll see he's the fullness of healthy integration. God is not fractured, he's not splintered, he's not disintegrated in any way, shape, or form. God is one. And so what God says, he means what he says, and he says what he means. And when God is there, his mind isn't somewhere else, that God is right here before us. He is one. Which means the goal, next slide, of every Talmudim, every disciple, that's the Hebrew word for disciple, Talmudim, the goal of the disciple, the Talmudim of Jesus, is also to be one. Integrated whole and live with integrity so here's the real question though how do we do it how do we actually be the kind of people who are like God in the sense where we are one because if we are the people who are the image bearers of God the bride of Christ that when we leave this place We should also say what we mean and mean what we say. We should also have the ability to be fully present. We should also have the ability to be one. Heart, mind, body, and soul. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 6, you see in verse 5, 
6, 7, 8, 9, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And you see verses 6, 7, 8, 9, says, these are the commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. You're supposed to impress them on your children, stamp them into the heart, the mind, the soul of your kids. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up and tie them as symbols on your hands. Don't forget them. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This was the heart, was don't ever forget this. The Lord our God is one, and we are to love God with all of our being, our heart, our mind, our soul, our body. Now, what's amazing is this word body or strength is, is this word in Hebrew, mahore, and it literally means to love God. We don't actually have a great translation of strength or body. The best translation of mahore is to love God with all of our muchness. Like all, every atom, every molecule, every part of our essence, our being, we are to love God with all of our muchness. And this is, this is something that Jesus understood. Because the Jewish prayer, they would pray this in the morning, they would pray this in the afternoon, they would pray this prayer, Shema Rael, Echad. They would pray this as they walked along the road. They, they, they would remember it. Oh, my job is to love God with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my strength, with all my soul. And so when Jesus, in Mark chapter 12, he gets questioned. He gets questioned about the commandments. And look what he says. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating and noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Which is the most important? Look what Jesus says. The most important one answered Jesus is this. And he quotes straight from Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is a God one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Now, what's important that I want you to see here are these words, heart, mind, soul, and body. And I want you to begin to understand because to the Jewish understanding, to the way that the world worked, they understood these parts, these unique parts of the essence of what it means to be human. We all have a heart, we all have a mind, we all have a body, we all have a soul. Now, what's interesting about all of this, though, is that they didn't have the scientific understanding that we have today, but they did have some attributes that they connected to the heart, the mind, the body, the soul. And so the heart was all connected. Their understanding, the word leb, heart, was literally about your will, your intention. And from your heart came what you decided and, and chose. But the mind, the mind was the thoughts. The mind was the feelings. And the mind was the conscience. This is like their understanding of the mind. You see this even in the New Testament where Paul will say, be sober, what minded? Don't be of multiple minds. Or then when you get to the body, the body was all about the face, the body language and actually how we embodied those principles or values or axioms in the scriptures through our actions. Now, what's amazing about all of this, though, is that we often in the church don't talk with true transparency and honesty when it comes to the soul. So I grew up, didn't know Christ, 
until I was in seventh, eighth grade. Started showing up to church. And at the time when I'd hear the idea about soul, it was about saving souls. And almost in the sense of like 21 grams, because when they say that you die, your weight drops 21 grams. And so some people have, have kind of perplexed the idea that maybe that's your soul, and that soul ends up going up to heaven. And so this whole concept of like saving souls was like there's this part of you that actually somehow would go to heaven. But I'm telling you to the Hebrew mindset, the most fascinating, the most intriguing, the most true part about you is your soul. Dallas Wheeler, the great philosopher, spiritual leader, someone I had the privilege to spend hours with, he just said this, the soul is the aspect of your whole being that correlates and integrates and alivens everything going on in its very dimensions of the self. It correlates and integrates and enlivens. You go to Barnes & Noble today, and you walk, and there's going to be a self-help section. But in the whole kind of Christian viewpoint, it's not self-help. It's actually soul help. Because the truest part of you is your soul. And the soul is the life center of what it means to be human. This is what the soul is. Now, let me try to draw this out for you. Because I want you to see this. Because when you actually pray, oh, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I want to love you with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my body, with all my soul. Like, how do we actually do that? So I want to show you this drawing. So look at this. The heart. The mind. The body. And in the sense of this Venn diagram, the soul is actually what integrates and correlates and alivens it all. And the whole heartbeat of this is what the soul does is the soul will integrate you to have when you are in a conversation to be the kind of person heart, mind, and body is actually one and present. Because this is what the soul does. The soul integrates. But you know what sin does? Sin disintegrates. The sin of the enemy, the way of the devil, the way that the enemy wants is for your heart and mind and body to be at odds. You ever thought about this? And some of you are like, what are you talking about? What does this mean? Have you ever had a conversation with someone and you're saying something and they're nodding their head but their face is mad? And you're like, oh, you're disintegrating right now as I'm saying this. Or you have these moments where you're talking to someone and you can tell that they've like, abandon the conversation and they're literally just like watching and they're like thinking like how could this be how could this happen they're not actually fully present their head and mind is over here but their body's right here you ever experience that with your spouse you don't raise your hand right now don't raise your hand right now but this is what it looks like and this is what the, this is what the enemy wants to do he wants to disintegrate he wants your heart thinking all this with your choices and your body to be all over here, and your mind to be all over here, so that you find yourself at odds with you. And some of us, we know exactly what this is like. We've experienced the enemy just trying to get our mind all just feeling anxious and overwhelmed and stressed, 
And then we feel the sense of my heart, man, I got this will and I got this intention. I have this desire to actually be a person of God. But my mind's feeling all of this and my body's like, I don't know what to do, man. Or sometimes we feel this body and this body feels all of this temptation. All of this like this kind of sense of the flesh. And in our mind, we're like, man, don't do it, man. Don't do it. Don't do it. But then you feel this body just saying, just, just go work or just go buy that or just go drink that or just go taste that or just go look at that or just go do this. And all of a sudden, you just feel like the enemy is like disintegrating. Heart, mind, body, soul. And this is often what the church doesn't talk about. And so then all of a sudden, when you find yourself disintegrating, if you're like me, you wonder, what is wrong with me? But this is the game plan of the enemy. This is what the enemy wants, because if if you aren't one and you are fractured and you are splintered, it's going to be so much easier for you to show up and not be fully you. To say something that your body disagrees with, to speak something that your mind doesn't agree with, to say something that your heart doesn't actually want to embody. And the enemy's like, got him. Got him. But what if, what if we could take it back? What if there was an actual way which we, as Four City Church, could actually resonate deep with the heart? of the scriptures, the way of Jesus, where we could actually show up and at moments be very, very honest and human with, whew, I can feel the enemy trying to have me disintegrate in this moment, in this conversation with my child, or this conversation on Twitter, or this conversation with my spouse, or this conversation with my boss, or this conversation with someone who's profoundly hurt me, or let me down, or neglected, or abandoned, or whatever it is, but we could actually exhale and be true, because you have to understand this. If you really, really believe in your belovedness by God, in your identity shaped and formed and molded as a child of God, you know what? Your full, truest soul self is unoffendable. Another way to say it is undisintegratable. <laughs> Just made that word up. Let's put that in the dictionary. Because this is the truth. This is the best part of us is when we can show up and in the face of a storm, recognize, oh, I stand on the faithfulness of God. I need, I need, I need you, God. My God, my God, I need you. I need you to help me stay integrated. But just because you have this thought in your mind and just maybe you have this longing in your heart doesn't mean it's actually going to play out in your actual life, right? So let's make this even more plain. Let's get this so down so that for me, I need pictures, I need quotes, I need help to actually do this. And so I'm going to turn to a Rockford legend Born and raised in Rockford, now lives out in California. He's a mentor of mine. John Ortberg says this. He says, you, meaning me, meaning us, meaning four city, you must arrange your days so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. I have not read one thing that is not scripture that has been more profound to me in the last several months. This is Up in my room, this is a phrase that means so much to me because I understand as a Christ follower, it is my responsibility 
to arrange my days, 24 hours, in the course of a week, 168 hours, to arrange my days so that I am experiencing the deepest level of contentment and joy and confidence in my everyday life with God. Heart, mind, body, and soul. So let's talk about the mind for a second. The mind. When I was in college at Hope International University, Fullerton, California, I had a professor named Nofel Staten, real name, K-N-O-F-E-L, Nofel Staten. He was my Greek professor. I took Greek one, Greek two, Greek three. My final in Greek two was him handing us the book of 1 John and saying, translate it, and he walked out of the room. And I was like, my God, my God, I need you. Um, I got an 87%. It stood up on my refrigerator. I felt very, very good. Now, here's, oh, thank you. Thanks, thanks. Still paying for the student loans, though, but it's cool. Now, Nofal one day, he says to me, he goes, hey, because I was talking to him. I was talking to him about, like, the sense of all of these pressures that come, all of these, these moments that I have where I just feel overwhelmed. And before Nofal Staten taught Greek at Hope International University, he was the air traffic controller at O'Hare Airport. And I'll never forget this. He told me, he said, Steve, you want to know what real power looks like? And I know some of you are like, that's not O'Hare, that's Phoenix. I just took a picture of it from the plane once because I wanted to remember this moment. And I remember this one day, him saying, Steve, you want to know what real power is? It's telling United Airlines they can't take off. <laughs> you want to know what real power is? Rerouting. Delta to Milwaukee. You want to know what real power looks like? It is grounding all planes, all companies, because I said so. And I was like, man, that's, you're the, you're the person to blame. You're the person to blame. That's a, that is real power. But then he changed it. And he said, Steve, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give yourself an airport code. I'm like, what? He goes, LAX. O-R-D, P-H-X, P-D-X. He's like, what's your initials? I'm like, Steve, Ryan Carter, S-R-C. He's like, all right, great. Your, your airport code is S-R-C. I'm like, great. And then he says this. Do you know that you have the power to let negative thoughts land in your brain? You have the power to reroute those negative thoughts somewhere else. So he said, where are you going to reroute them? And I think he was thinking a, a spiritual moment, like I'm gonna reroute them to the cross, quoting First Peter. I said, I'm rerouting them to Columbus, Ohio, and to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, because I can't stand the University of Alabama or Ohio State University. And Nofal was like, I don't think you're missing the point here. Um, and, but here, here's the truth. You have a moment where you see Peter saying this, man, I'm gonna cast all my anxieties, all my, all my worries to where? To the one who can hold them to the cross. Like, do you, do you understand that some of us, we let that, that negative, toxic, bitter, resentful thought just land in our brain? And then all of a sudden, it works itself down to our heart. And then all of a sudden, it begins to work itself into our body. And it begins to kind of like stuff out our soul, who is like, you were created in the image of God. And the enemy's like, I have just dis integrated the people of God. And all we need to do is just reroute that to the cross. 
What if this week, all of a sudden, you started to feel the negative thoughts of the past, the negative thoughts of a coworker, negative thoughts of a, of a, of a boss or friend or the old bitter wounds, and all of a sudden, it's just wanting to get close to the molecules and atoms that make up who you are, and you understood, you're not landing here. Have fun in Columbus. You're not landing here. It's really, really important for us because we, if we're going to arrange our days so that we are experiencing the deepest contentment, joy, and confidence in our everyday life with God, then we have to be able to say, nope, nope, nope. Let's take it even farther. Let's get down to our body. Because you understand that your body is a temple. Is a temple. Uh, many of you know this. I, 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 walked, I walked the Camino de Santiago I'm from Portugal to Spain last year and ended at this cathedral. And in this cathedral is where they believe that St. James brought the gospel from, from Jerusalem to Spain. They believe that his, his bones are there. They, they, they built this whole moment and, and monument. But I think about this often is a temple, a cathedral. And whatever religion you look at, whatever religion you might study, the belief was that whatever a temple was, it was where the divine met humanity. The divine met humanity. And my second sermon I ever gave, I was a film major. I, um, I, uh, I didn't ever think I'd be a preacher. I wanted to make films and tell stories. My dad was a business person, but he went to USC to study cinematography. So we, we talked about movies. We watched movies. We, we, we chopped about storylines and character development and tension and the, the arc of a story. That's what I wanted to do. And I was going to Cal State Fullerton playing basketball. Play's not the right word. I was sitting on the bench, but I got free shoes. But I, I was learning about film. And one of my friends came up to me and goes, hey, um, we had like this junior high speaker back out for this winter retreat, would you, would you consider coming to teach? I was like, well, well, I don't do this. And they're like, well, do you, you don't have a message? I'm like, well, can I teach anything? They're like, yeah, as long as it's the Bible. And I'm like, done. So I show up. And my first, this is, this is one of my first sermons ever. I roll up a TV with a VCR, and there's 100 junior hires. And I want to teach them the power, this is a terrible sermon idea, but it's not gonna, you're not going to forget this. It's a terrible sermon idea. I should have never been given the chance to teach, but thanks be to God, God had a bigger plan. Now, here's what I do. I decide to show the Godfather. Okay? Terrible idea, I know, but stay with me because it's going somewhere. I show the scene with a VCR and a television. 100 junior high students where all of a sudden, guy walks into the bedroom, his wife's there, and he looks over and he goes, buy the drapes down. She's like, I, I, I didn't do that. And then he looks at her and he goes, get down. And all of a sudden, the whole house just gets shot up. Terrible idea. And then I go to the VCR and I fast forward in real time. To the moment where the guy realizes who's the one who put the hit on him. And he walks up to him. And he goes, in my house. In my house. And he begins to scream this. Where my kids sleep. In my house. In my house. And there's like kids crying. In my house. And then I open the Bible. And I say, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And I wonder if sometimes God just looks at you and says, in my house. 
in my house. You're bringing this into my house. You're never going to forget it. And some of you are going to go watch Godfather and be like, there's a biblical lesson here. Um, but, I, but I want you to understand this. Your body is a temple. And your body is where the third person of the Trinity resides. And the third person of the Trinity is trying to make room so the fullest expression of who you always were intended to be, soul, would be alive. And yet, and yet, many times, if you are like me, this is the body. I mean, it's Girl Scout cookie season, friends. Thin mints. <laughs> I put them in the freezer. I took down a whole sleeve of those last night. And sometimes I wonder if, and it's for the kids, you know what I mean? It's for the kids. But I wonder sometimes, I'm like, in my house. I'm just talking Thin Mints, but let's even take it farther, right? And just, just you, you, you all can play this out. It's just a body. It's not just a body, it's a temple. Your mind you are this air traffic controller. What are you letting land? Your body. The body matters. Right, it's just sleep. It doesn't really matter. No, it does. It's just, it doesn't matter what I'm really putting in my... It does. Your body, it matters. Because it's a temple. You are a temple. Let's take it even farther. Your heart. I love in Proverbs chapter 4. It says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And I, I, I had no jump shot as a kid. I still don't. But I will tell you what I could do is I could lock you up. I understood what that word guard meant. And I didn't mind getting into a stance and I could, I, I mean, I was, I was all about it. That's all I had. I was going to box you out. I was going to bite your kneecaps to sound like Dan Campbell from the Detroit Lions head coach. But I, I was going to do whatever I could to get on that court. And I knew what it meant to guard someone, to lock them down. But it's amazing. Some of you know this. Because if I asked you, what's your social security number? What's your, what's your password to get into Chase? Hey, hey, what's your password to get into Facebook? You'd be like, no, 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 no. We guard that more than we guard this. And what's incredible is when you look at that verse, it says you guard your heart because everything flows from it. All of the will, all of the intention is going to flow from this. And I honestly think we will guard our reputation, Taylor Swift, we will guard so much other stuff than actually this. And every decision we make flows from this. And so here's what I want you to understand is what you begin to see. If you read Proverbs 4, you should read it this week. It will be so powerful. He says, man, like what you see, what you say, where your feet go, all flows from right here. All flows from right here. So typically Sunday nights, Mondays, mornings, I have this practice. And I look back at the last week the first thing I do is I just play it back. I almost have kind of like this video replay. I just choose one moment, one moment where I just did not guard my heart. I think about that. What I chose to see, what I chose to say, where I chose to go. 
I play it back. And there's no shade and there's no shame. I'm just trying to get curious. And then in this moment, I don't just play it back. I'll have a few minutes. I might journal. I might just think about it. The next one is I'll play it out. And I play it out. If I get put in that situation again, knowing what I know, how will I do it differently? And in this moment, I almost imagine the greatest coach, Jesus, my rabbi, my Lord, my Savior, coming alongside me and saying, I I know, I know. I know you were scared in that moment. I know you were stressed in that moment. I know you didn't know what to say in that moment. I know you, you were trying to keep everybody happy in that moment. But now, just if you are integrated, heart, mind, body, soul, one with me, how would you do it differently? And I play it out. You gotta play it back. You gotta take some learnings. You gotta play it out. But here's what I think many of us miss is that everything flows from our heart. And many of us struggle to guard our heart. I think we have to not just play it back and play it out, we have to play it smart. Because if I'm gonna arrange my days where I'm experiencing the deepest levels of contentment, joy, and confidence in my everyday life with God, then how am I actually making space for my heart? That might be a Sabbath That might be going to watch a game. That might be going for a walk. That might be doing a date night. That might be spending time in the morning with the Lord. But how are you playing it smart so that you are taking care of your heart? Play it back. Play it out. Play it smart. And lastly, if you want to live integrated heart, mind, body, and soul, you got to play it honest. And someone asks you, how you doing? It's so easy for us guys to be like, fine. How you doing? I'm good. How you doing? Oh, man, I'm all right, man. Never been better. And you're like, really? It's okay for us guys to say, how are you doing? I'm a little scared. Because when I admit that I'm scared, I also have a sense to say, but I'm also standing on the faithfulness of God so I can pray out, my God, my God, I need you. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know what today holds, that God is with me and God is for me and God is with you and God is for you. And so, we are going to transition in the coming weeks to now kind of move our understanding of prayer to now praying for other people. But we wanted to spend a number of weeks just learning, oh, yeah, how do we stay integrated heart, mind, body, soul? And this week, I want you to, I just want to challenge you. If something's going to land in your mind, you're an air traffic controller, reroute it. Your body's a temple. You have the temptation of the enemy trying to disintegrate you. Just look at it and say, in my house, my father's house. And give yourself a moment of reflection to play it back, to play it out, to play it smart, to play it honest, to guard this heart so that your soul can take up more integrated residence in this temple. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. Now, Before you go, I'm gonna give you a benediction in a moment. But if any of you just have prayer, I'll be down front. I'm sure there'll be uh, some of our prayer team down front. We'd love just to pray with you. I told you that next week we continue in this Living on a Prayer series, but we're calling it Pray About Everything. (laughs) Because you imagine if we were a church that just, again, we just prayed about everything. We're able to intercede for what's happening in the world. We're able to, to pray prayers of confession. We were able to pray prayers of forgiveness. 
Can you imagine if we were able to embody that verse? Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And then lastly, let me tell you what I'm praying for. If you went to the family meeting or you watched that video, you know that we are kind of in this unique season, a miracle in the making season. And your faithfulness has put us in an incredible position. But this quarter, this quarter and next quarter are profoundly important. And what we're asking for is for us to be consistent in our giving. That if we can hit $34,125 every week, the new lenders that are gonna be looking at us, we are gonna be wildly attractive. And if we are able to do this and God makes a way, which I believe, I believe, I believe will happen because God's only ever been faithful to us, we get to be generous and faithful back to him. If we do this, we have the chance to save upwards of $6 million. And it sets the trajectory of this church, what the elders have been praying for, the staff's been praying for, key volunteers and leaders have been praying for, sets us up for decades to come. So these next two quarters, please, please, please join me in praying and join me in being faithful. Amen? Amen. Would you stand for a closing blessing? You can put out your hands as Trevor showed us. I love that. And let me just pray these words over us. My brothers and sisters of Forest City Church, may you know deep within that the Lord our God is one. And may you be aware that the most important, the most meaningful, the most true part about you is your soul. And may you be aware of the negativity that wants to land in your mind. May you be aware that your body is a temple. And may you scream out, mm, not my father's house. And may you guard your heart so that your soul can be alive and so that people can see the fullest of expression of you and who God made you to be. Much love, everyone. We'll see you next weekend. Grace and peace.